You are listening to Every Nation Church Sydney. We hope you enjoy our upcoming message. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I tell you, it's going to be a fantastic uh, sense, you know, what God has in store, you know. You see that by the wave of things that we have experienced. We said we're going to have three weeks of, you know, uh, the church with our guests coming in. But it's not going to be two weeks because uh, Pastor Jason, uh, how many of you know Pastor Jason was here with us? Yeah, Pastor Jason. Uh, It's not going to be around uh, because the wife, Pastor Amy, has to go through some procedure. Uh, but all is well, you know, uh, all is well. We're praying. Let's just, uh, just, let's pray for them even right now. Father, we just thank you for Jason. We thank you for Amy. We thank you for their heart, Lord, to see the kingdom come, to see lives transformed. And even right in this moment, you know their situation. We ask, Lord, that you will touch Amy. And Lord, just your peace to rest upon that lady. Lord, I pray for your peace upon the family. I pray, oh God, that you will help them through this process. Lord, just to be focused on you because you are the only one that can bring about the restoration. And we thank you because Amy is going to come out with with strength, with really even just uh, more passion to see your kingdom come. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that um, uh, next time they will be able to join us. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. But we have... Uh, we have started receiving now uh, the people coming in for, for the 10-day mission. If you're here, can you lift up your hands? If you're here for the 10-day mission, you can see them all around. Uh, there are still more people coming in, but some came in right uh, since yesterday, which was uh, Saturday, and uh, today also. Uh, a little bit of drama going on with the delays of flights and uh, whatsoever, you know. So probably some of you will uh, see that we came in a little bit late. Uh, but thank God we made it. Pastor Davis, we made it, didn't we? We made it. <laughs> and they're here. We're, we're going to have a tag team preaching uh, to continue with our series uh, building that God has called us to build here in Sydney. And we talked about that, that as we are catching the vision, uh, we'll be able to run with that vision. And it's good that they're here today Uh, coinciding with building with the next generation because uh, that's what they're here to do. They're going to be, you know, marching through our campuses, our universities, and the people they are reaching there, they are the next ministers, the next president, the next doctor, the next pastor. I mean, just the list is endless. And that's their heart, to reach the next generation. So today we have... uh, uh, some of the team leaders are here. Uh, Pastor David Bennett is from uh, where Pastor uh, Jason is actually uh, right now in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's give him a big hand of welcome. And we also have Pastor also uh, Mike Gordon. Pastor Mike Gordon is the, uh, is the head of the mission team, the 10-day mission team here. These guys have got incredible stories, testimonies, and I know why. Because they go where the stories are. They go where the people are. Amen. And I'm praying that during their time here, they'll be able to inspire us. 
not to just warm the seats, but to go where? Amen. We say, I will go where you will go. That's it. Amen. So let's, let's welcome Pastor David. Give him a big Sydney welcome. <laughs> wow. And I need it. It's, it's no joke. We really did just get off a plane. Um, I don't speak a lot in church, and this is definitely the first time I've ever changed in the bathroom during worship. Uh, and having to preach from a telephone because my iPad isn't updated, doesn't have internet yet. Um, you know, I had jokes to tell. I had things I wanted to say. I'm sorry. Um, when Jason sent the first text to me um, earlier in the week, he sends me a text. He says, hey, or he sends the, the church staff a text. He says, hey, be praying. Amy's in the hospital. She's got some things going on. I said, okay. And I sent him a text right away, and I said, so what's this mean for you, right? Because Jason is my mentor. Jason is who went through Purple Book with me. Jason is the person that I go to when I have a deep theological question, when I have a, parent, uh, I have a parenting question, when I have a question about being a husband, right? Because I'm new to faith. I'm two and a half years into this journey. It's not like I've been doing this like Jason for, or you know what, 42, 30-something years, right? <laughs> Take my shoes off to count. Um, but it bothered me. And then when Jason said, I don't think I'm going to make it to Australia, I will let you know. I said, what is this? This is the enemy attacking us. And so I sent a group text and um, this is just about everybody from, uh, well, this is everybody, right, with, with me here now? This is everybody from the church in Atlanta. That's nine people that came from this small church in Atlanta to help this team of just 36. Um, Mike's going to tell you more, but 10 Days has agreed to, to three years of coming over here and spreading the gospel um, and reaching the next generation. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. But I realized that the enemy was attacking us. The enemy didn't want to hear what I had to say, did not want to hear what we had to say. The enemy wants nothing to do with this message that we're bringing to Sydney, Australia. Amen? And I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I was starting to doubt last night when the plane was delayed for an hour, and then the plane was delayed two hours, and then we got on a plane and we waited another 40 minutes before we took off. And I said, there's no way we're going to make it, and the time that we were supposed to land would have been at 10.07 no way we were going to get here on time. And somehow the pilot made up time. And then we get to the airport, and, and I'm standing there with Bailey, and we're waiting on our baggage, and I'm thinking, the enemy really doesn't want to hear this message that I have to say today. He's going to put this block in front of me. And when we left the airport, we didn't hit one red light. I don't, even I don't even think we stopped. I'm serious. Like, 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 that's not normal, right? And we got here, and I'm, I'm in the restroom, and I'm changing, and I'm like, I'm changing in a restroom, and I'm, I'm getting ready to preach God's word, and God, what do you want me to say, right? What, what do I need? What's the message you want to come out of me? And, um, and part of it is we just have to keep believing. We have to trust that he's going to provide a way, and we have to know Right? Just as much as we believe in the power of God, who has done things in the past and will do things again, 
you have to believe that the enemy's going to be there and try to stop us. Last week, um, Pastor Andy, Andy King is the, the lead pastor of, of High Point Church, which is our Every Nation Church in Atlanta. He spoke on Ephesians 5, right? Um, the, the armor of God. And I've heard that message preached um, in several different ways, but I've never heard it like this. You get dressed for battle because the battle's coming. It's not that you're in the battle. It's not that you're going to the battle. The battle's coming to you, right? And that's why we get dressed in the armor of God. That's why we shine our sword. That's why we put that helmet on every day. And I really felt like coming here, that's what we were in. It was a battle. It was, it was easier for me to go, man, this just isn't going to happen. And so when I first got on a plane, I thought, I'm not even going to prep for tomorrow morning because I'm not going to get a chance to speak. And God spoke to me. And he said, you promised me that time. So you get ready for that time. And... If you don't get to speak it in church on Sunday, you're going to do it next Sunday. But you promised me that time on the plane. So you spend that time on the plane. And I said, okay. And so I did. And then as if a confirmation needed it, right? Or if I needed the confirmation, excuse me. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me during worship. I will go where you would go. Right? Listen, guys. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story in, in my message. But if you knew who I was two and a half years ago. You know, and all, all, of our, all of our college youth and, and Catherine, the campus minister, know my story. You can see why I would go, that's not going to be me. I'm not worthy of standing up in front of a church. And if you left it up to me, God, I wouldn't. But I'm going to go where you'll go. I'm going to let your spirit lead me. Hallelujah. So, and then just to further, I get here and Gerald begins to just about preach my message for me during transition, which was fantastic. I was like, I can talk five minutes and be done. I need a Red Bull or something. I'm tired. <laughs> right? Um, I do not have slides, so bear with me. Um, I didn't have time to get all that set up. Uh, I just, it just didn't happen. But it's okay, right? It's okay. Um, in Psalms, I want to start with this. In Psalms 145, uh, David is talking about the next generation, specifically talking about the next generation. Psalms 145, 4 through 7, he says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. That was me on the plane today. Right? One generation will speak to another, but I'm going to meditate. Right? And then he's, he goes on to say, They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. I walked into a worship set, songs that I love to hear, songs that I love to sing, and today they spoke to me. Like they do from time to time. It doesn't happen every time we sing them. But today they spoke to me because this is what I needed to hear. I needed this message that I'm about to talk to you about. Right? I need this. So I'm not preaching to people. I'm just telling you my story and why we're here. So in his 2013 publishing, Pastor Steve Merrill, you guys know him? He's kind of famous, right? <laughs> He's kind of famous. Um, 
But in 100 years from now, many of you may have read it. Um, you've probably heard it referenced many times when we talk about the next generation. But he ends, the, the, he ends every chapter with a question. And he calls it the 100 years question. But chapter 1, he ends with this. He says, what will every nation become in the next 100 years if we forget our mission, values, and culture? Or if we compromise the gospel? On the other hand, if we are faithful to the gospel and if we successfully transfer our mission, values, and culture to the next generation, how will the nations be impacted by the year 2094 when every nation celebrates its 100-year anniversary? I'll have you know I never read this book until last Monday. And when I read that question, it was like a rock dropping in my lap. And I knew I had to do something with that question. Earlier in the book, Steve talks about passing the baton to the next generation. And that's exactly what we do. When we bring a, a, a young person of faith or somebody from the next generation up, and we begin to train them alongside of our current leaders and movements and moments inside of the body of Christ, right? Those are the people who are going to carry the baton. And what that question is referencing and what Steve talks about throughout the book is forgetting the baton because we can do that. We can become centered churches on other things besides Christ. We can have a church that doesn't honor God. We can have a church that isn't spirit-empowered, right? We can have a church that forgets to be socially responsible church. And when we become those things, it's like not giving the baton to the next runner in the race. And if you leave the baton at the starting line like he tells a story about in the book, or if you just drop the baton or you just don't hand it to the next runner, it all equals the same thing. There's no victory for you. You're disqualified. You've ran this race for nothing. Paul talks about running the good race, right? I ran the good race. Let me finish. There's no need to finish if you're not running the race. I'm a, I'm a car guy, so I like to think of it like we're all on this bus together, right? We're driving this bus. And your leaders are the people up front, and they're taking the bus where it needs to go. But there's people that sit in the back, and they don't just sit there. Many of them also become drivers because when we get too old or we get too tired, right? When Pastor Joshua says, I can no longer drive this bus, somebody has to get in the driver's seat and take that bus on. But if they don't know where the bus is going, and if they don't know why the bus is going there, then they're going to go where they want to go. Or they might not even drive the bus. They'll just stop right then and there. Same thing. You don't get to your destination, right? If it never gets there, if I don't take the church to where it needs to go, then it's not just me. How many people did I take with me not to where they needed to be? And as far as I know, I'm not the end user, right? I'm not the last person that's going to do this. My question is, you know, that I center around is, is what are we going to do about it? I'm going to share some numbers with you in just a moment after I pray. They're disturbing numbers. But my question to myself was, what am I going to do about this? And I realized I already was. How am I going to ensure there's drivers ready to take my place? Right? Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, thank you for a 15-hour flight. Thank you for waiting on baggage, for delayed flights. 
God, I'm going to thank you for the enemy to stand in front of us so we can feel empowered when we knock him down just by believing in you. Holy Spirit, you moved from the moment we walked in this door. You were moving when we were at the airport, and we're just asking you now that you take the scales off our eyes, you take the plugs from our ears, and you remove the doors in front of our hearts so that we can see, so that we can hear, and so that we can fully take in what it is you want to give us today. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. Jesus, we're thankful for you and your sacrifice. And everything we do here is to honor God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Barna Group, it's a research company in, I think they're in New Jersey. But um, they do a lot of researches. They do a lot of studies. And um, they focus primarily on the intersection of culture and faith. Right? And they came up with this, this recent study that was just talking about the importance of attending church. This isn't, a, you know, the importance of the Holy Spirit or, or reading a Bible, just attending a church, right? And what they say is that the millennials, those that are 30 years of age and under, only two out of 10 believe that going to church is important. But a full three out of 10 are anti-church, anti-Christian. So at least five somewhere in the, in the wings, right? But there's two out of ten that think it's important, but there's at least one more than that who says God is not even important. They're anti-Christian. You compare that with the elder, the elder generation. That's people who are 68 and over is what Barna says. Where a full... Four out of ten believe that going to church is important. And it's only about two out of ten that don't think it's important at all. But they found it very, very low numbers who were anti-church. And then I'm a generation Xer and my parents are baby boomers. So anywhere between 67 all the way down to 31 years of age, we fall just about in the middle. My generation slightly less church going than my parents' generation. And so what that means for us is that if I'm driving the bus and I look behind me, there's way too many empty seats. There's not enough people to drive the bus. There's not enough people to carry the flag. There's not enough soldiers to fight this war. And that's why it's so important for us to be here, right? We came to speak specifically to a generation and to find the lost in a generation who has trouble finding themselves. They don't even have an identity. Half of them don't even know who they are anymore. They don't know who they want to be. They don't know what they want to do. They have so many things that compete with, um, with their time. They have so many things that compete with their attention. So many things that compete with their, um, their affections, Right? They don't know what it is they're looking for. And that's why it's so important for us to come find them now. Right? It's much easier to talk to somebody at 20 than it is to talk to somebody at 30 than it is to talk to somebody at 40. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it went something similar to this. About 45% of the people who have come to faith do so between the ages of 17 and 25. That number drops to 35% between the age of 26 to 35. It goes down another 10% between the ages of 36 and 45. And after 55 years of age, you have about a 10% chance of ever learning who 
Christ is and then loving on Christ. That doesn't mean we write a generation off, but that means it's very difficult to reach somebody at that age when they've become deeply rooted in who they are as a person, right? So how do we do this? How do we go out and find people? How do we go out and reach this generation? If you have a Bible, you can turn your Bible to Matthew 28. This is probably 10 days' favorite verse. (laughs) I don't know, right? This is an easy one. It's called the Great Commission. Um, It lights a fire under me every time I read that, okay? But Matthew 28, we'll start in verse 18. He says, Then Jesus came, came near, and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But here's the part that's important. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember that I am with you always. In the original language, um, the one main verb in there is not go, right? We like to say that. What's the verb in the Great Commission? It's go. But in the original language, the the main verb in all of that was make disciples, right? So so there we go again with the baton. We go, and we forget to make disciples, right? We hear this. Every nation, I do not believe, is guilty of this. But we hear it worldwide where the church as a whole will go on a mission trip, and they'll go build a school or they'll deliver some food, but they don't ever talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not looking to make a disciple. So they have the go down, but they're missing the important part, right? That's great. I just built this school. What good is it when I leave and Jesus isn't in this school? And they go on worshiping the same gods and the same idols that they were worshiping before. Right? So the verb, the main verb in that is to go and make disciples. And really, I don't even have to go to make disciples. I can make disciples in my church. In the local shopping store, right? I can make disciples in my neighborhood. I can make disciples hanging out wherever it is I hang out. Because that's what Jesus commands us to do. Go and make disciples. And so it's the making of disciples that we're focused on when we go on a mission trip. Especially one where we came, we came to a first world country, right? And I had people ask me, why, why Australia? Well, there's people in Australia that don't know Jesus, right? I mean, come on. Right? But when we think mission trip, we've watered it down. So what are we thinking? We're thinking of going to a country that doesn't have resources. We're thinking of going to Mexico, right? Or one of the middle countries of Africa where there's, there's no gross national product to be exported. And so nobody really has any money. And it's just a destitute people. Australia's not a destitute people. We don't think of. But I promise you this week we're going to encounter a lot of people who are destitute in their souls. We're going to find a lot of people that are going to want to hear the good news we got to share. We're going to talk to a lot of people, and they might not turn their lives over this week. And it might be a year from now. It might be three years from now. It might be five years from now. But they're going to remember that person that spoke to them on their campus or that guy that talked to them on the airplane. Right? 
they're going to remember that. They're going to remember that part about going to make disciples. I'm sorry, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, uh, growing up, I'm, I'm going to mix it up, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm off my sermon now. <laughs> I grew up in a church, and uh, my parents were elders in a church, so I was twice on Sunday. I was Friday, Wednesday night, any prayer meeting, elders meetings, pastors meetings, I was there. I had a lot of Jesus around me when I was growing up. For whatever reason, I didn't really understand what it meant to live for Jesus. And I had this constant hole inside of me. I never felt good enough. I never felt worthy. I never felt like the person who um, belonged there and there being anywhere. I never measured up to other people. And so that led me to a, a kind of up and down relationship with Christ while I was in high school. And once I left high school, I joined the United States military I left home, and when I left home, I left the church, and I left it for good. I spent 23 years on the run, and I do say on the run, because it got to the point where I didn't want God. I was anti-God. I talked against God. I talked against faith. I didn't just not go to church. I was outspoken against faith, and in the, in the meantime... I had a really bad problem with pornography. I had a bad problem with relationships. I wrecked everybody around me. There wasn't one relationship in my life where I didn't hurt or harm that person in some way. And again, I had been raised in a church, right? And I'm not blaming my church. I'm not blaming my parents for taking me or that pastor. But somewhere along the way, that baton didn't get passed to me. Somebody didn't check with me and say, hey, man, where are you at with Jesus? Nobody checked with me and said, hey, man, what, Davis, where's Jesus in your life? They assumed that because I went to church on Sundays and I clapped my hands and I sang all the songs, that I was good. That I didn't need anything else. And somebody failed to hand me that baton for the moment. Maybe it was me. I just failed to pick it up. Right? But I eventually got to a point in my life where... I'd hit rock bottom. I was about to lose my job. I loved my job, but I was about to lose my job. I was about to lose the respect of my son. I was about to lose the respect of, you know, of course, my girlfriend, her daughter, my parents, who were always going to love me. But they really thought, just like everybody else, that I finally had my life on track just without God. You know, they, I was about as they, everybody thought I was about as good as you could be without having Christ in your life. And during this time, and just years previous, you know, I was in this place in, in a little rural town in, in Alabama, which is the country, and everybody in this area that we call it the Bible Belt of the United States because everybody goes to church. Everybody goes to church. And people go to church because their mama went to church there, Right? And their mama went to church there because that's where grandma went to church. And grandma went to church there because that's where so on and so forth. You have churches that have 55 people in them. That's the congregation, and the church has been there for 130 years. And people used to invite me to go to church. No one ever invited me to come have a relationship with Jesus. They invited me to go to church. So 
I knew enough to look at them and say, hey, I'm going to watch you and you're going to go gather under whatever steeple you want to. You're going to clap your hands and you're going to sing your way to your salvation for the moment. But Monday through Saturday, you're going to act like me. You're going to hurt like me. You're going to feel like me. You're going to talk like me. You're going to be no different than I am. What is the compelling reason for me to go to church if it doesn't change my life, right? If, if it's not changing who I am and if I'm not living differently, if I'm not going out and making a disciple, then what's the compelling reason to go to church? I can mow my grass. I can do my yard work on Sunday. Right? Saturday's for football. Sunday's for taking care of the yard. You know, we got a lake. We can go to the lake. We don't need to go to church. But when I tell you Jesus reached out his hand and he changed my life, when I reached out my hand to him, it changed my life. It was instantaneous. It was a physical feeling from the inside because that's the power that Jesus has, right? That's the power God has to reach down and take our soul and mix it up. And he blows on it and he says, finally, you're awakened to the plan that I had for you. You're awake to it. You might not even know what it is, but you're awake to it now. Right? It's the quickening that you feel. That moment when it's a real touch with God. So Jesus changes everything, right? And that's why we're here. I have a true understanding for the male population in college who's going through things. Where, where these, these images, these sounds, these songs, everything around them points towards sex, and they don't know how to deal with it, right? We have a very unhealthy view of what sex and a, an intimate relationship with a woman is like. And for the women, it's the same thing. For the female population, they don't know what it's supposed to look like in a godly way. And that's where I began to want to minister to college kids. That's where I began to want to talk to this generation, I have a son who's from that generation. He's 22 years old, just graduated college, doesn't know Christ because I didn't raise him to know Christ. But God willing, he's going to because he's been watching me for two years. He's been watching me live a life that will compel him to want to change. And that's why we come over here. That's why we came to Australia. We want to live a life that's compelling. And we want to speak to people in such a way that they feel compelled to go, I want to know what's going on in that church on a Sunday. And all we have to do is get them to church on Sunday. And I want to live a life that's compelling enough that they're going to want to go to a campus meeting throughout the week. And then once they're there, they're going to hear what Jesus is like. And they're going to begin to feel what Jesus is like. And that's when they're going to turn their life over to Christ. And at that moment, right, as we're making disciples in a church, I'm looking in the mirror, and I see more people in the seats behind me. And now I'm making disciples, right? Another word for disciples is drivers. I'm making more drivers. So that when I'm too tired, when I'm too old to keep it between the lines, somebody else can come sit in that seat, and we can keep going to where we were supposed to go. And we remember why we were supposed to go there, right? And that's not just something that we came up with at Every Nation. We're like, hey, we need to talk to college kids. We're going to plant college campuses. No, that's biblical. 
Turn me to Timothy. Second Timothy. Timothy's a 19, maybe 20-year-old, right? He's the same age as what we're going to find on these campuses this week. And yet, he's one of Paul's favorite disciples. He's one of Paul's favorite followers. This, this kid has been following Paul. He's worked with Paul. He's worked hard with Paul. And now Paul, who knows that he's coming up on the end of his life, he's getting up out of the seat. He's going to let somebody else drive for a little while. Right? But 2 Timothy chapter 2. I don't have my glasses. It is chapter 2. <laughs> Verse 2 through 3. He says, You then, my son... Be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Timothy, my son, I know you're only 19, but you've heard me say some really good things. And everything you've heard me say is from the Lord. The Holy Spirit has breathed this into me. And now you take what I've taught you, and you give it to other people. You entrust it. You take this gift, this treasure, and you say, here, you have it. And then right then and there, they're qualified to go do the same thing. That's making disciples 101, right? Discipleship 101. But you notice he's writing this to a 19 or a 20-year-old 20, 20 kid. This isn't somebody who's a great theologian who's been in the church for 40 years. This isn't somebody who's, you know, five years younger than Paul. This is somebody who's young. He's inexperienced in leadership. He's inexperienced in Christianity, right? Just about everybody was back then. We're talking 40 years after Christ died. You know, nobody really knew Christianity yet. But yet he says, Timothy, my son, take what I've taught you and now give it away to others. And that's how this thing grows, right? That's how they sustain this movement. And they were probably aiming for the next 100 years. And we're going on 2,000-something years now, right? Is that right? 2000? <laughs> See, church, thing is, we're not the end user of the grace that Paul talks about. This doesn't stop for me. doesn't stop with me. God didn't create grace and create this way back to him and say, I'm going to stop it with this generation. Right? He knows the day and the time. He has not entrusted that to me. He hasn't told me when he's coming back. So I'm going to work as if as though I have another 100 years to go. Right? I'm going to keep building his church as if as though there's another hundred years to go. And I hope that the people that I entrust with this go like they're going to go for another hundred years. And they're going to go for another hundred years. And so we have to be intentional about speaking to this generation. We have to be intentional about engaging this generation before they get caught up in life like I did. I know I had people speak to me. But when I had a job and I had a nice car, right? When I was big and muscular because I was taking steroids to be so, I didn't care about Jesus at that time. I had no reason to go to church. My life was put together. I was living, I was living high on the hog. That's what we call it back then. That means we're doing well. And I acted like I was doing well. I couldn't look in the mirror. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't tell the truth about anything. But everybody thought I had my stuff together. Everybody thought that I was put together quite well. But the more established I got in my life, the less time I had to change. And that's why we're intentional about this, this generation. Right? 
I don't want to use the word catch, but this is the time that, that we need to get out there and reach them. Right? For everything they have competing with their time, it's nothing like having two kids and a job. Right? It's nothing like having bills pouring in every week. Or get later on down the road when you have a, a job at a business and you're senior management. You're working 60 hours a week. You got two nice cars, three kids, one I'm about to go to college. You ain't got time to go to church. I got to work. I got to relax. I got to keep up with Mr. and Mrs. Jones. I got to have what everybody else has. So that's why we're intentional. That's why we came over here this week. This, this is what we do, right? This is what every nation does. Every nation is passionate about making disciples. This church is passionate about making disciples. You remember me talking earlier, I was talking about how I could watch my friends who would go to church on a Sunday. And they were going to church, but they weren't loving Jesus. When I found High Point, it's a long story, but it was by mistake. It really was by mistake, if you're asking me. But now we know God doesn't do that. He doesn't make mistakes, right? Holy Spirit guided me to type, type in the wrong web address. No joke. Two years later, here I am in Australia. Come on. Right? No joke. Typed in the wrong web address. Found a pastor named Andy. He liked baseball. I said, baby, we're going to try that church. <laughs> Two years later, I'm in Australia talking about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? But hey, I'll go where you want to go, Lord. Right? I'm sold out. And that's crazy. <laughs> right? Um, Pastor Steve talks about, though, that we have to know who we are, why we do what we're doing, and where we're going to go with it. That's the whole premise of his book, 100 Years From Now. Pastor Steve isn't worried about everything that he's done correctly to start this global movement with Dr. Brooke. Right? He doesn't care what he did 20 years ago. He's not concerned with what happened 20 years ago. He's concerned with people like Greg Tipton, who is in charge of 10 days. Um, he's concerned with people like Mike Gordon, who are at the Every Nation you know, capital in, in Nashville, Tennessee. He's concerned with um, the, the last person that got saved on a college campus. That's who, that's who Steve is concerned with because he knows that's who's going to carry that baton later. And he's intentional about it because God showed him to be intentional about it, right? We're not a moment. Every nation is not a moment. I don't care what you name the church. If it's an every nation church, it's not a moment. It's a movement. And we want to be built to last. And the only way we're going to be built to last is to let the Holy Spirit power us, to let the Holy Spirit guide us, Right? And we have to be intentional about what we're doing with this next generation. In the words of uh, John Piper, I don't know if you guys have heard that name. Um, he's like this super smart theologian, pastor. His brain is like, I don't even know. He's like a supercomputer with biblical knowledge. It's crazy. I am amazed every time I hear him open his mouth. <laughs> right? I'm going to kick this table like five times. <laughs> But he says, um, 
as he's talking about this subject, he says, necessary to our faithful gospel ministry is an investment in the gospel ministry that will come after ours. So he uses the word necessary as in it is a must that we reach this next generation. And then he uses the word investment as in the act of devoting time, resources, and energy with the hopeful expectation of things to come because of those acts. Right? So I'm giving of myself with the hopeful expectation that this is going to have a return. Right? It's going to have a return to it. And that return to it isn't going to give me riches. That return to it isn't going to make me better than somebody. It's not going to make me famous. But what it is going to do is going to carry on the mission that Christ gave us in Matthew 28. Amen? So, God, I'm going to go where you lead me. And you're leading me right now to Sydney, Australia. And you're leading me here to talk today about building through the next generation. That's what we're doing. We're building through the next generation. It's not by mistake. God designed this. He said, you're going to be intentional. And so I'm going to leave you with this thought. I said, church... It is the duty to make disciples of everyone that we have a chance to. But it is imperative for the health of the church over the next hundred years and beyond that we reach out to the next generations. Because that next generation are the ones that have the energy, the charisma, the relational um, equity with their current generation and then generations beyond, right? I mean, if you're a parent and you have a 10-year-old like I do, it can be a strained relationship at times. And if you're a parent and you have a 22-year-old like I do, you know that when they were 16 or 17, you couldn't say one right thing to them, but just about. But you know who can speak right thing to them? It's somebody closer to their age. And guys, we're losing people. The elders are dying. The baby boomers are dying. I'm 42. My time, seconds are clicking away. So we have to bring people up that can, that can drive that bus. Amen? Amen? All right. Father, thank you, Lord, for just the word that you gave us today. Let us be bold this week as, as 10 days Sydney team. Let us have the audacity to go proclaim who you are, Father. Jesus, we, we know that you've opened doors for us and we're asking you for the words. Holy Spirit, we're asking you for the clear words that we will speak life, we will speak truth, and we will speak reasoning to those who are just missing any one or all of those three. God, let us hand this mantle off to somebody else. Let us prepare the next generation. It's going to take this very church into the next few seasons. Father, we love you. You're so grateful. Or you're so gracious to us, and we're grateful for that. Amen. All right, guys. This is Mike. Mike's going to tell you about 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> wow, thank you so much, Davis. Um, man, that was awesome. Like, as you were preaching, I was like, delete, delete, delete. Everything I was about to say, um, man, you made me change up everything. And, and 
First, I just want to say my name is Mike Gordon. Uh, I work with Every Nation North America in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for having us. And, and just as Davis was just preaching and, and Pastor Joshua mentioned, you never know who you're impacting. And a matter of fact, it was about 13, 14 years ago, I was a student in the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, Florida, and a campus minister happened to invite me to a Bible study. And at that time, I was just going through a depression, losing all my friends, and, and uh, it was the Holy Spirit that really tugged on my heart. And I waited a whole other week before I showed up to this Bible study. And in that Bible study, Pastor Greg Tipton was there and shared the gospel. And I was like, man, I am a hypocrite. I grew up in a Catholic church, never read the Bible, and, and just really lived my life however I wanted to, you know, Monday through Saturday. And then on Sunday, I made sure I was right in that pew, uh, right on time. And when, when that happened and, and, and I accepted Christ, even my parents didn't know what to do with me. They, you know, it was, it was more or less, it, it was crazy because I came home with my first Bible and my mom that drug us to church every Sunday asked me, what are you doing with that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the questions of, did you join a cult? Did you, you know, and all this other stuff. And, and, but at the same time, I knew it was right. And I knew that my parents did the best that they could, but I, I had to step out as a young man at the age of 20 uh, to create a new generation, new path for, for, for the legacy of, of our family. And so um, I went on to uh, volunteer, graduated from, from college, and as I was graduating, uh, ran into Greg Tipton again, and he was starting something called 10 Days. And he challenged uh, all of us. He said, before you graduate, give 10 days of your life on the mission field and see what God does. And uh, I, was in, I was in the crowd, and I said, well, I remember that guy. He shared the gospel with me. I was just going to follow him to Mexico, and it ruined my life. And ever since that trip, I said, God, I will dedicate all of my summers to uh, all my vacation day, all of my summers to go on a mission trip and see and, and interact with students and, and communities that are not like my own. And as I was doing this, I had a secular job and, and working logistics and the only way I could do this is if, if God, you provide. So I'm just going to give, you know, partnership letters to everyone that I work with that are unsaved. And sure enough, people that didn't even go to church would just send in checks. And I, I remember specifically there was this young lady by the name of Lisa who was a, a lesbian that hated everything that I stood for because she knew I was a Christian. But out of, out of the three trips that I did on, um, working there, she would be the first one to write a check. I would put my letter on her desk early in the morning, and within 15, 20 minutes, she would have a check written out. And so I thought it was crazy, you know, and, and every time I would come back, uh, my bosses would say, are you going to do this with your life? Like, you should just go into ministry. And, and it didn't make sense to me because they weren't even going to church themselves. So I was like, how is this, how do you know I'm supposed to go to ministry? And uh, in 2009, I went to Edinburgh, Scotland, and got prophesied over by a, a pastor there, and he said, you're called to go into ministry. And my heart sank. I didn't want to do it. And he was like, but also the Lord has a wife for you. So I was like, now you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'll accept the wife part. Let's just shelf the uh, ministry part. And, uh, and I ran. And he said, you know, you have a spirit of Jonah on you, and you're going to run from it, but God's going to have you in the same spot until you say yes. 
And um, gosh, two years later, went on a mission trip to Mumbai, India, and I met my now wife from Nashville, and um, we got engaged, and out of, out of nowhere, my phone rang, and once again, it's Greg Tipton, and he says, hey, my number two is, is, is uh, moving on, transferring to another department, and I want you to come work with me. And at first, I said no. <laughs> and we were sitting in a, a church service, and the pastor pulls out Joshua 1, and it says, be strong, be courageous, and the Lord God will be with you. And so I answered the call. And just, you know, yesterday, I'm on a, on a flight, 15-hour flight to Sydney, Australia, and I'm, I'm just telling God, like, this doesn't make sense. I've been in this job for five years, and I'm getting to see countless hundreds of, of young people and adults and older individuals go on mission trips and change lives of students. And I don't deserve, I, I really don't deserve to be on the forefront of that and, and seeing lives change. But God has a plan, for, had a plan for me. And if it weren't for the church where I got saved at in Jacksonville, Florida, them investing in me, Pastor Greg Tipton investing in me, if, if you don't invest in the next generation, what are we missing? We're missing the opportunity to touch the next president, touch the next politician, touch the next campus minister that will go onto these campuses and change generations. And so, as it was mentioned before, we have a team of 36, which uh, a team of uh, our, our, our Orlando, Florida team, they're actually stuck in Orlando right now because of weather, and uh, they may be delayed a d another day, but that's where you guys come into play. We need your faith. We need you praying for, for something to happen, for, for, for the flight to catch up on time or the second flight in Dallas to be delayed so that they can catch this flight. Or even if they miss a day, it's okay. We still need your faith. We need your prayers. And second of all, you know, we're believing for multiple students to come to know Christ during this trip. And yes, we have Facebook and we can communicate with them, but the one-on-one, -on -one, the face the face to face, the one, the one, doing the one to one, the purple book. Man, we can do that electronically. Yes, we can. But for you to invest in them, for you to say, "Hey, I understand you may be giving up everything that you know, all of your friends, your family may be looking at you crazy, but we're spiritual family now, and we're not, we're not going to turn our back, uh, back to you. We see the potential that God has in you, and you never know who you're touching. So." I just want to encourage you all to pray, but also if you can join us on campus. And then when we leave, as you see more, more new students and individuals coming to this church, take a leap of faith, reach across the aisle, go out to coffee with them, get into their lives. Because I, I guarantee you, with all the distractions like Davis mentioned, the other students on these campuses are not investing in their lives. And when I say investing, you know, yeah, they might be invited to a party, but that real life, what's, what is going on in your life? What is God doing in your life? That question is not being asked on these campuses. So why can't this be a safe haven for them? Why can't this be their new family that pushes them into, an ex you know, pushes them into a life that God has for them to change nations and change every nation? So thank you guys so much. Please join us. Please pray for us. And Pastor Joshua, thank you for inviting us. Thank you so much. And it's beautiful. Um, now I think uh, we should we should pray for them. 
Um, those that come, those that come from the 10-day team, would you come to the front? And uh, um, anybody who's got faith, join us in prayer. Just um, you know, to come forward, even lay your hands. Um, if you want to be part of the 10-day team as well, uh, just come join these guys. What's the anchor? Wow. What a, what a day. What a season. I'm so excited. I'm more than excited. This is God. And we have been praying for this opportunity for this kind of group to come to Australia. And I tell you, everything God has spoken to your heart, everything he's planned to do, he will do. He will do. And you have opened up your heart and your life yourself to, to, to take this trip. I assure you that he has gone ahead of you and he's in you and the greater one in you and you know there's attraction as you speak people will listen to you and even beyond your imagination things are going to happen. There's an open heaven upon you guys. So Father we thank you. We're so grateful for this team and Lord, we do, not, we do not just see this as a coincidence. We thank you because you already planned this. You heard our cry. You heard our, as we cried out to you for, for laborers in the harvest, the field is plain. It's so many people out there looking for hope, looking for somebody to tell them that they matter, that they are important, that, they, that you have a plan and you have a or hope for them. And Lord, they have come, left their families, left the comfort of their homes to just be here. And Lord, we just ask that you, that you have brought them. Lord, you, you, you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond everything we could ever imagine or even thought of according to your power that is our work within them. Even now, we are also praying for the team that is yet to come. We thank you that you already made a way for for their flights, and we thank you for uh, safe journey as they come, Lord. In the, just on the whole, Lord, we just see with our eyes of the Spirit the great harvest, the huge harvest on campuses, everywhere they go. And so we thank you that your power will perform this. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the scripture that just came to mind as we were praying is, you know, when Jesus Christ sent the 70 out, you remember that scripture? And they went and they came back, and uh, they, they were so they were full of joy, you know, recounting what they experienced on the mission field. And uh, Jesus told them, "Say, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning." I I, I just believe that heaven is open, even upon this mission team. What you're going to be doing is not by your strength, the anointing of God, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is going to, I mean, maybe some of you have not had the opportunity to really be on this kind of a big stage on the campuses, but God is going to open up your, your mouth to speak wisdom, to speak direction to lives, to break yokes. God is going to open your mind and your mouth in such a way that you have never experienced before. In Jesus' mighty name. And I just sense also that this, there's, there's going to be a confirmation for some of you. Maybe not only you here, uh, you're about 36. Some people will get some confirmation about the direction that God has for their life, for the future. 
You know, it's going to be confirmation for ministry. It's going to be something is just going to come, you know, to them. I just sense God is going to do that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's give them a big hand. You may, you may go back to your seat. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Pastor David and uh, Mark, for bringing that word of really just encouragement. I believe we are encouraged and we are standing with you. Amen. As you are going to the campus, we are coming along with you, physically, spiritually. <laughs> um, I just have a challenge for uh, everybody who's been coming to this church as well. Um, you know, they're going to be doing what they going to be doing. You know, they're going to be on campus. They're going to spend their time to reach out. And we're going to see some, you know, some lives being changed and people being added to the church. Um, I just want to challenge everyone when you, when these people start coming in to take somebody on. And it's, it's I know, I'm taking that challenge for myself to, to disciple them, you know, to, uh, to help them grow. So that's, that's on us. That's not on them, you know. So let's just, just just be ready, um, and you know this is this is the moment. You know this next two weeks. Let's see what what God's going to do and be a part of that. Um, we're going to take uh, offering now. Uh, there's uh, envelopes in front of your chairs, or there's uh, information on the screen that how you can give. Um, I'm usually talking to you know the the older people, you know not not really to the young people when when you're doing offering. But I just want to challenge uh, the young, young, young people, you know. Uh, you know, you're not earning much, but it's a principle. Uh, it's putting God first. Uh, um, I want to challenge you to start that now so that by the time you're, you're, you're you know, you've got a family, whatever it is, you know, whatever you define as being old, um, you know through experience that God is faithful. And that in putting him first, in putting uh, whatever small things you have, it, it doesn't matter what the amount is. But in putting God first, uh, he proves himself to be faithful and that you would know that. Yeah? Uh, so as the, offer, as the ushers uh, come forward, uh, I just, the same message applies to everybody here, I suppose, that God is faithful. Um, and in putting him first, he just proves that. Uh, and there's, there's, no, there's no way you can go wrong with that.